0: Mark chapter 9, we'll start in verse 9 and read down to verse 13. Jesus has been transfigured, Moses is there, Elijah is there, God speaks, the disciples, James and John and Peter, fall to the ground, they look up and Moses and Elijah are gone, Jesus is standing there by themselves, they brush off the dirt, stand up, and we pick it up, verse 9, grass with us and the flowers fade but the word of our God, stands forever, let's begin verse Nine. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. They asked him, why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things, And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come. They did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. Join me now as we pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray under the banner of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus by the power of the Spirit, we come to you. And we need help today. Father, I pray for all of those that are struggling. I pray for those that have been abused, mistreated. I pray for those that are depressed and hurting. I pray for those that are tired. I pray for those that feel hopeless. I pray for those that are locked in some sin. I pray for those that are unnecessarily carrying guilt. I pray for those that can't see a good future ahead. I pray for those that are getting close to the end of life and are scared. I pray in the name of Jesus that seeing your glory would help and so help us now in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Maybe see I think that most of you would agree with me that vacation is a wonderful thing. Amen, I got one amen over there. (laughs) Thanks, brother, it's late. If your normal life is stacked with work and early alarms and long days and multiple frustrations and mounting stress and prevailing tiredness, then a vacation from all of that FEELS LIKE HEAVEN ON EARTH. UNLESS YOU HAVE SMALL CHILDREN, THEN IT'S JUST TAKING YOUR WORK SOMEWHERE ELSE. (laughs) EVERY SUMMER, CONNIE AND I GO ON A VACATION TO A PLACE CALLED ST. George ISLAND OFF THE COAST OF APALACHICOLA, FLORIDA. IT'S ON THE GULF. LIFE DURING VACATION IS DIFFERENT. ALARMS ARE NOT SET. Schedules are not made, plans don't exist, expectations are low. I wake up when my eyes open up, not when an alarm screams at me. I go in and drink a pot of coffee, and after that, I read my Bible and pray, and then after that, I may go and pretend at some exercise to ease my conscience, and then go out on the beach, and there we'll sit, read, sit, read that's it. We're at the age now where we're not trying to get a whole lot of songs. you got shade. We'll sit under the umbrella. Go to sleep. Get up. Read. Walk down the beach. Come back. Do that until it's supper time. Come inside. Eat supper. Go to bed. And do it again tomorrow. Thanks, brother. Vacation is a glorious pocket of time that is carved out of real life. But it's not real life. And real life is where we live. In the story before us, the three disciples went up the mountain of transfiguration with Jesus. And on the mountain of transfiguration, they had the most glorious event of their life. It was carved out of real life. But it wasn't real life. In the passage before us the transfiguration has just happened. Jesus was changed before them. The way Mark tells it in earlier passage is that his clothes became radiant. They were intensely white, whiter than anybody on earth could bleach them. Moses was there who represented the law. Elijah was there, represented the prophets. The law and the prophets have met their summation in Jesus. They are there. One lady asked me last week, Elijah and Moses there. And she said, how did, uh, how did the disciples know that was Elijah? I said, he had a name tag when he showed up. <laughs> Actually, I don't know how they knew. I don't know how. They knew. But Moses and Elijah were there. They're talking to Jesus. They're talking about his departure. Peter speaks up. God then overrides Peter and says, this is my son, listen to him. They fall to the ground. Once they fall to the ground, Moses and Elijah are taken away. They look up and it's Jesus alone by himself. They get up, brush off their clothes. Now as the transfiguration fades away, they are going to realize that everything in their lives has now changed forever. And in this passage, they're coming down the mountain with Jesus and they are trying to figure out what they don't know is that all of history has led up to this moment, especially for a Jew. All of history, Moses was there, law. Elijah was there, prophets. They've met with Jesus. Now as Jesus descends the mountain, Jesus is now carrying all the weight of redemptive history. And these disciples, there are just three of them now, James and John, sons of thunder, and Peter, these three disciples will spend the rest of their lives in light of the transfiguration. Peter will even say in 2 Peter, I saw it with my own eyes. I saw his majesty. Majesty, you see. That majesty, that glory is is good. It was good for their souls. It's good for our souls. That glory would last them a lifetime. They would die because of that. And I want that. I, I, want, I, I want you to have that. I want your soul to be, uh, to be lightened by the glory of Jesus. I want your soul to be strengthened by the glory of Jesus. I want, I want there to be something else that gives you resilience and, and, and endurance and a joy. I want you to have... This morning, I want you to have something that's good for your soul. It's going to help you live joyfully through the everyday struggle of life. I think that's why this is here. I think that's why this is here. The glory of Jesus. Let's make this the theme of the sermon. The glory of Jesus is good for our souls. The glory of Jesus is good for our souls. Let's do what we've been doing. Let's go back to the passage and I'll uh, try to walk through it. Uh, Let's just walk through it, point out a couple of things and then come out, uh, come back and make some application to our lives. So join me back in verse nine. The transfiguration has just happened. Jesus changed, Elijah is there, Moses is there. God the Father speaks, this is my son, listen to him, fall to the ground. They look up now, it's just Jesus standing there by himself verses 7 and 8 and then now in verse 9 they get up, it's over and they start down the mountain 7 or 8,000 feet down the mountain so it is several hours they are walking and as they walk they have a conversation Jesus tells them something he tells other people before do not tell what you saw that's in verse 9 charge them tell no one what you had seen which is interesting. Here he puts a time frame on it. Tell no one what you have seen until the Son of Man comes back from the dead. They don't know what that means. Jesus puts a, why does he put this time frame on it? Because, because he knows if people down, if the regular Jewish man or woman hears that Jesus has been met by Moses and Elijah, the two greatest heroes in the history of Judaism, and now Jesus is the triumvirate. They're going to try to make him king. They already tried it once before. So Jesus says, don't tell anybody this until the Son of Man comes back from the dead. Verse 10 says they don't know what that means. The disciples are questioning among themselves, what does this mean coming back from the dead? Um, They understood that there is a general Resurrection that will happen one day and everybody will be judged, but they did not understand that Jesus was going to be brought back from the dead. They're pondering these things and they bring up another question in verse 11. Let's talk about Elijah. They've just seen him. So verse 11, they asked him, why do the scribes say that Elijah, they're trying to work out how it all works. Why did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? He said to them, verse 12, he answered them, well, the truth is, Elijah does come first to restore all things. Now, they don't realize it yet, Jesus is talking about John the Baptist who has already come. And the way he restored all things is that he preached repentance and to get ready for the coming Messiah. But he changes the topic on them in verse 12. They asked a question, he gives a partial answer, then he changes it. He asks the question now, why is it written, see verse 12? Why is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? Why is Psalm 22 there? Why is Isaiah 52 there? Why is Isaiah 53 there? Why does that happen? They're pondering that. He brings it back to John the Baptist in verse 13. I tell you that Elijah has come. Remember what he said in Matthew chapter 11? Jesus says that John the Baptist is... Elijah. If you can take it, that's how he says it. If you, can, if you can bear it, John the Baptist is Elijah. So he confirms that here in verse 13. I tell you that Elijah has come and they did to him. what Herod did to him? They did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. Okay. So we kind of walk through it. Now, let's see if we can't make some, some applications. How does this story of the transfiguration help us. Here's the first one, number one. You can't stay on a mountaintop. You can't stay on the mountaintop. It's good to go there, retreats are great. When I was a student, I used to love to go to camp. Go to camp and you have four or five days of hearing, preaching, being strengthened in the Lord. You're with a bunch of people that are either Christians or at least are acting like Christians and the temptations of regular life are not there. You're not prone to sin. You're, it's just church all the time. It's, it, it feels good, but you got to come down off the mountain. Vacation, you go, it's away, It's not life. You got to come down off the mountain. Verse nine, they have just experienced something spectacular like they had never seen before. Peter even says, it is good. Good that we're here. Let me build a couple of little shacks for us to be in because he wants to stay up there. But they had to come down. Verse 9 has them coming down. They're coming down the mountain after this spectacular event. They've got to come down into brokenness and sin and, and, and death. That's where we live. It's where you live. Right now i got a good friend named Brian Black, his wife Heather Brian is a Presbyterian pastor in Northern Ireland. He's an Ulsterman, friend of mine he's preaching this pulpit. Last week, his wife fell in a parking lot and hit her head, and uh, she's two brain bleeds. They put her in a coma, and for a couple of days, we're not sure if she was going to make it. It looks like we've got just a little bit of good news, and Brian's probably watching. He watches every Sunday, watches our service. What does this, the transfiguration, say to him? There's a couple that goes to our church. The wife is very sick, not able to be here. Not sure how bad the disease is or where it's going to turn. What does this say to them? Tomorrow at 2 o'clock at our Mallory Creek campus, there's a funeral. A man died of a heart attack tragically last week, unexpectedly. What does this say to his widow? There are many of you sitting in this room right now. You will spend... A whole week, every week you, you spend most of your day, most of your week managing something that is terribly unpleasant. You don't want to be there. How? What does this say to that? A couple of things to think of. I want you to think with me. A couple of things to think on. When you think, I want you to think, first of all, I want you to think on the work of Christ. It's good for your soul to think on the work of Christ. It's good for you to see Jesus with with Elijah and Moses. You think on Jesus fulfilling all of the law, keeping all the laws that you've broke. Think on that. Think on him fulfilling all of the prophecies. Think on the work of Jesus. Think on the kingship of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus. Think on the work of Christ. For you, think on that that's not enough think on the think on the hope that you have in christ think with me for a little bit if you're a christian now think on his perfect life and your sinning life think that his righteousness is what you get think think about that think on his uh going to the cross that he actually stood in the way of punishment you deserve judgment you ever felt condemnation and guilt jesus took that think on that think on um Think on the resurrection. If you're you're getting old and decrepit, look at me, some of you old and decrepit. If you're having to use a walker or a cane or things are not working, knees replaced and hips replaced and shoulders replaced and you are the bionic person, just think with me now. Just think on the resurrection of Jesus. Think on the bodily resurrection. Sometimes God gives us these discomforts in life so we don't long for this world, we long for another world. Think on the resurrection of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. Think on this hope that you have in Christ. Think about the endurance of Jesus. I mean, even in this passage, Jesus will say, why is it written about the Son of Man that he must suffer many things, suffer many things? Why why is it written he would suffer? Why did you have to suffer? Why is it that Jesus has suffered? He suffered to take the heat out of your suffering. And to give meaning to your suffering. Why is it that the Son of Man suffered many things and to be treated poorly with contempt? Why? He he did that for us. Vicariously, you see. A lot of times you will hear athletes use the Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's always used wrongly. So you go into a weight room, you decide you're going to deadlift 500 pounds and you recite to yourself, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You go and try it and it fails. The problem is not with the Bible not being true. The problem is you. Well, what is Philippians 4.13? 4, Philippians 4.13 is Paul saying, I have... <clears throat> I know how to get through hard times and easy times. I know how to be completely poor and have a little bit of money in my pocket. I know how to to be persecuted. How do I do it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Think on the endurance you've been given in Christ. Think, think Think on the love of Christ, how he has loved you, how he has made it so you are able to actually love people that hurt you. Think about the Forgiveness that you have. Man, when we, it's so good to hear a little bit of the testimony of people being baptized. Think about where you've come from, what Christ has done, how you've been made new. Think about forgiveness, the forgiveness that you have in Christ. Think about the call of Christ on your life, the call. What is He calling you into now at this stage in your life? What you've walked through. Why has he put you in the struggle that you are in? He has you there. The call is for you to glorify God in that. Not to be constantly looking for a way out of that, but how do I stay in this situation and glorify the name of Jesus with my life? Brothers and sisters, you can't stay. The mountaintop is wonderful, but you can't stay on the mountaintop. The Bible teaches, however, that even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's with you. The glory of Jesus is good for our souls. We can't stay on a mountaintop. Let me give you something else I've learned from this passage, and I hope that you'll see it too. Here's the second thing. <clears throat> Number two, you need the full gospel. The full gospel gospel, the real gospel. Maybe you want to write it down like this. You need the complete gospel. Verse 9, they're coming down the mountain and Jesus says to them, do not tell anybody what you've seen yet until Christ has been raised from the dead, until the Son of Man comes back from the dead. So don't tell of this because they'll want me to be king. That's not the full gospel. The full gospel has to be the life, death, and resurrection. When that happens, Then you can tell. It's a whole life gospel. Now, when I say gospel, here's what I mean. Let's see if I can encapsulate it. The Bible teaches that God is a holy God who created us in his image. The image of God in us has been disfigured by our own sin and rebellion. We are born rebels and we prove it with our lives. We rebel against God. But God is a loving, good, and kind God. He comes after those, of, those that are rebelling against him. And although we deserve to be punished and sent to hell, what he does is give us Jesus, who, who lives perfectly. And at the cross, here's what he does. God pours out the wrath that we deserve. He pulls it, pours it out on Jesus. Jesus takes that. That's why if you're a Christian and you're going through something, You are not being judged, you're being disciplined. So at the cross, God pours out his judgment on our sin. He pours it out on Jesus. Three days later, God raises him from the dead. He has ascended into heaven. The resurrection assures that it works. And the promise of the gospel is if you will believe that Jesus and Jesus alone died for you, you will be saved. It's the promise of the gospel. But if you are saved... That gospel is transformative. And we just saw a picture of it in the baptistry that says, here's what I used to do. It was terrible. Christ has saved me. Here's how I'm going to live. It's transformative. It's, It's obvious that there is no cheap grace. The grace of God purchased by the blood of Jesus It makes you a different person. If you did not change, then you were not saved. There's not evidence. Then there's no change. It's transformative. There's something that happens to these men after the resurrection of Jesus. The Spirit descends and you are new. The the language in the New Testament is of conversion, your new creature. Now, this is not legalism. This is not you. Here are the 10 rules I've got to follow, and if I don't follow them, then I'm not a believer. No, legalism is not you. Christianity is not legalism, you trying to prove yourself. Christianity is saying, I am completely bankrupt, a sinner, and yet God in His goodness has saved me by grace through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. My hope is in the work of Christ. You need a full gospel. The fact that Jesus told the disciples, don't tell about this glorious thing until after the resurrection was proof. That is the glory of Jesus. Let me give you a third thing that I think we learned from this passage, number three. And that is <clears throat> that telling the truth is costly. You tell the truth, it's costly. That's evidence you get from John the Baptist's life. In verse 11 and 12, the disciples ask about Elijah. We'll come back to that, the last two points. But in verse 13, Jesus references John the Baptist. That's what he's saying in verse 13, because in Matthew 11, Jesus said that if you can take it, John the Baptist is Elijah. And here in verse 13, I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of it. Now that should make you go, what did they do to John the Baptist? Well, you remember in Mark chapter 6, John the Baptist has been put in prison because John the Baptist was telling Herod it is wrong for you to have your brother's wife. It's not lawful. You say that you are Jewish, you are breaking Jewish law. It's wrong. And Herod, who's the king and a terrible person, puts John the Baptist in the jail. It's not just John the Baptist, and it's not just Herod that's offended. It's his wife. His wife sends her teenage daughter in to dance, a risque dance in front of her new husband. Herod is pleased with that dance, and he says, ask me anything you want, and she goes to her mother. Her mother says, get, let's get John the Baptist's head on a platter. Herod has his guests looking at him. He has John the Baptist's head cut off. That's verse 13. Jesus says, Elijah's come. They did to him whatever they wanted. Why? Because he told the truth. It's it's good for us to go ahead and bolster, to get all right with the fact that telling the truth is costly. Being truthful, though, is a loving thing. Love and truth are not mutually exclusive. They are the same. There's a water fountain out there. And that water fountain is fed by a sewer. And I see somebody going to the water fountain getting ready to take a drink. It is a loving thing for me to say, Don't drink that. It is a loving thing for us to say, God's creation is good. How God created us, He created us for human flourishing as male and female. It is a loving thing to teach that. To say, Don't go drink in that fountain, it's, that's a, that water's foul to say here's good water over here. That God created a man as a man and a woman as a woman. To to say that, that to fall off into transgenderism is a breach of God's good creation. You don't have to be angry. We're not having a culture war. We're trying to point the culture to Jesus. That the truth of the Gospel says this is good for you. That if you drink that water, it's foul. Don't drink that water. You can teach the truth, Do it in love, but tell the truth. But why? Because the truths of God are beautiful. They are good. They are here for human flourishing. They teach us the gospel. But let's let's just be real about it. In this day and time, it can be costly. Some of you have experienced that. You, you, You have just humbly told the truth and it's cost you. Martin Luther at the Protestant Reformation, 1517, Martin Luther, and then after the 95 Theses are nailed and it created such quite a stir, there were a couple of years where it came to be where he's got to stand before the Holy Roman Emperor. And the Holy Roman Emperor is telling him to recant because it's going to cause, they didn't just find heretics, they burn them at the stake. So Martin Luther says, look, can I have a night to think about it? It took a night to think about it. The next day he comes in, this is what he says. My conscience, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything. To go against conscience is neither safe nor right. Here I stand, so help me God. Under that persecution, he would write the beautiful hymn that we sing, mighty fortress, a mighty fortress is our God. The last, one of the last stanzas of that hymn says, Our bodies, they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. So when you, when you stand on the truth of the exclusivity of the gospel, you also point to the power of God's grace in anybody's life. You, when you talk about the wrath of God, you also talk about the love of God. When you talk about the, the goodness of a Christian family, When you stand to say that that abortion should be abolished, that adoption is good and beautiful and a picture of the gospel. When you preach life everlasting in Jesus, those truths will be costly. It costs these three men, they would all die. But the glory of Jesus makes it so our souls can do that. It's good for our souls. Three things we've learned. You You can't stay on the mountain. You need the full gospel, telling the truth is costly. Uh, A fourth one here, a fourth one is you can stake your life on the Bible. Go back to the conversation, verses 11 and 12. They're having a conversation and they ask, okay, the scribes say Elijah's coming. Well, if you go and read Malachi chapter 4, Malachi is the very last book in the Old Testament, the very last chapter in the last book in the Old Testament, and the last two verses in the last chapter in the last book in the Old Testament say, Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. That day has come, Jesus is saying. It was prophesied, it's happening. Verse 12, he'll say, Why is it written that the Son of Man would suffer many things? and be treated with contempt. You can go look them up. Just go look them up. Psalm 22, Isaiah 52, Isaiah 53, all of them paint a picture hundreds of years before it happens. Jesus comes and suffers. And Jesus is saying, what has been written is what you can trust. Look, God's Word, brothers and sisters, God's Word is food for our souls. It's it's a compass for our life. It brings healing. You know what's gonna happen when you read the Bible, it brings, brings healing to your wounds and strength to your weakness and comfort. What can Brian do sitting by his wife in a coma? He can open up the Bible and read the Psalms and, and draw comfort and strength to, to love the Bible, to learn the Bible, to, to be disciplined by the Bible, to drink God's Word, to trust it and uphold it and defend it and live by it and die for it if we have to. You can stake your life on the Bible. Learn that here. I'll go ahead and close. Let me give you a fifth one before I close. A fifth, a fifth thing I think you'll learn here. This whole passage is about the cross. So here's the fifth point. Number five, the cross. The cross is the center. The cross of Christ is the center. Verse 9, they come down the mountain and they ask him, uh, Jesus tells them, do not talk about this until the resurrection. The resurrection precludes the crucifixion. At the very center, don't talk about this until the crucifixion, resurrection, the glory of Jesus. Down in verse 12, Jesus says, why is it written that the Son of Man must suffer? It's the cross. The whole Old Testament is taking us to the cross. And as they come down the mountain, he carried on his back the entire weight of redemption and he would carry that all the way to when he carried the cross. There at the cross, we would have the wrath of God and the love of God meet at the cross. There at the cross, you have the justice of God that is upheld and the mercy and grace of God meet together jesus and they meet in the glory of the son of god that's what this is about the glory the glory of god in the life and death and resurrection of christ that's what gets you through the glory of jesus it's good for our souls i'll end with the question How is your soul? With that in mind, I'm going to ask you to pray with me just for a moment. Your head's bowed this morning. Just pray with me. Time of commitment and prayer. Is your soul in the valley? Just just keep your head bowed. Are you hurt? Feel like you don't have hope. Maybe it's dropped off into, into depression. Maybe you've suffered some sort of abuse. You can't climb out of it. Maybe you're worried. Maybe you, maybe you are thinking of someone that you know is completely lost. The way we end our service is we, we sing a song song of of praise. It's an invitation song. I just want to extend it even further. If any of you would like to come today and just pray that the glory of Jesus can see you through. Come and ask God to help you. It's a good time to do it. It's the Lord's Day with God's people. It's a day of worship. So as we close this morning and as we sing, if you'd like to come and pray, you do so while we sing. Father, thank you for picture of the glorified Jesus. Lord, I pray you would be helpful to people, men and women today. Helpful. God, I pray that you'd lift it even now. Lift it so that we walk out with our souls lighter, freer, happier in Jesus. Help us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand please we sing together?